0: crypto industry and the digital assets industry is still something that Hong Kong wants to support and potentially grow. And that's really encouraging to hear, because there is there is absolutely health in this industry, uh, but it needs to recover to it at the moment. It's, it's undergoing a, a, a bad flu, uh, if you will, if, if not uh, this contagion is, is spreading still. But at some point, recovery will come.
1: All right. Well, we'll look forward to that. And uh, we'll look forward to having you back on the show again. This is Angie Lau, founder and editor-in-chief of forecast.news, talking to us on crypto on Money Talk. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. All right, everybody, we're going to have a quick look at the markets before we go. Nikkei up, Kospi up, uh, Australian Stock Exchange up, Ethereum is trading up, Bitcoin down. And the Hong Kong uh, futures index is uh, looking like it might be a good day. We got plus 1.3% on my charts. Uh, coming up next, we've got after the news back chat with Janice Wong and Jenny Lam. And our final money talk of 2023 tomorrow, Andrew Freres is back on. It'll be the third Andrew of the week. We will also look at tech in 2023 with Rise Boss, uh, the Web Summit man for Asia, the legend, Hyper Casey Lau. Expect an explosive free Christmas show from him. I'd like to thank our producer, Christy Lai, and our sound man, Sang Wing Ming, for working their usual magic. Uh, the weather, fine and dry today, cool in the morning and at night. Uh, the current temperature is 15 degrees Celsius with 35% humidity. Time is now 8.31 and the news with Tom
2: Harding. The government has welcomed the ruling made by a panel established under the World Trade Organization's dispute settlement body that the origin marking requirement imposed on Hong Kong products by the United States is inconsistent with WTO rules. The World Trade Organization found yesterday that the US had violated global trading rules by insisting that products imported from Hong Kong be marked as coming from China, a ruling rejected as flawed by Washington. Until 2020, the United States had treated Hong Kong, which is a separate WTO member, in the same manner as before it passed from British control in July 1997. Then-US President Donald Trump signed an order requiring that be changed, with Washington arguing that the SAR was not sufficiently autonomous to justify treatment different from that of China. The order came into effect in late 2020. A three-person WTO adjudicating panel found that the United States had violated an obligation towards Hong Kong by giving it less favorable treatment than other WTO members in terms of marks of origin on its products. The government says the ruling has affirmed its special status as a separate customs territory. The Secretary for Commerce and Economic Development, Algernon Yao, said in a statement that the revised origin marking requirement was politically motivated and a vain attempt to interfere with Hong Kong's internal affairs. People heading to bars will no longer have to take rapid tests from today, while the number of diners at banquets will no longer be limited in the latest easing of anti-COVID rules. The government says changes are possible because the pandemic situation has stabilized. The chairman of the Lan Kui Fong Group, Alan Zeman, told RTHK that the relaxation was the best Christmas present for everybody, adding that the sector expects a boost to business.
3: Obviously, I, perfect, I really expect something like one and a half fold, you know. It it, uh, it, it really looks uh, very, very good. People are now going out with the fact that you, you can drop the rapid test and Banquet, uh, banquets are increased, uh, you know, the numbers are increased uh, for banquets and then also uh, people in general. Uh, and now the talk of the border with China opening up, that's a big, big plus. And hopefully it's uh, early January. This would, this would really make a big, big difference.
2: Vladimir Putin has told his top defense officials the Russian army can have whatever it needs to win the war in Ukraine. During a televised speech in Moscow, the Russian president said all military equipment should be the most up-to-date.
4: Everything a serviceman needs should be modern, comfortable and reliable. And if some departmental standards are outdated, they need to be changed quickly. We have no funding restrictions. The country and the government give everything that the army asks for. Everything.
2: President Putin said hypersonic missiles would be deployed on board a Russian warship from January. He also talked about improving the combat readiness of the country's strategic nuclear forces. President Biden and the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky have been holding a joint press conference at the White House as the Ukrainian leader makes his first overseas trip since the war with Russia began. Mr. Biden said the U.S. would continue to strengthen Ukraine's ability to defend itself. He said on the 300th day since the war began that Ukraine continued to inspire the American people.
1: 300 days since Putin launched an unprovoked, unjustified, all-out assault on the free people of Ukraine. 300 days of Ukrainian people showing Russia and the world their steel backbone, their love of country and their unbreakable determination to choose their own path.
2: Mr. Biden said the latest support would include the Patriot Missile Defense System. He pledged new and more security assistance worth $1.85 billion U.S. dollars. Earlier, Mr. Zelensky expressed his gratitude for Washington's backing. One of the biggest cryptocurrency mining firms in the United States has filed for bankruptcy protection. The announcement by Core Scientific marks the latest setback for the sector, which has suffered a series of failures, as the BBC's Grant Ferret reports.
5: The plunging value of cryptocurrencies, combined with the soaring cost of energy, has driven a number of miners out of business. Core Scientific, which is based in Texas, said it would continue to operate while trying to reach a deal with creditors. The entire industry has suffered a sharp decline in confidence since the collapse last month of the crypto exchange FTX. Once worth more than $4 billion, Core Scientific's share value has been almost entirely wiped out over the past year.
2: And that's the news from RTHK.
6: Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Jenny Lam. On today's program, we will look at the updated plan to build three artificial islands off Lantau to provide more than 200,000 new flats and a new central business district for the city. The
5: estimated price tag has risen by 16% to billion Hong Kong dollars. But the government's still confident that it can make up for this by selling off some of the land. The original infrastructure plan has also been changed with the proposed rail
6: link now planned to connect the new islands to hongshui instead of Timon. So what do you think of this massive project? Is it worth the cost to address Hong Kong's chronic land shortage? What about its impact on the environment.
5: And at 9.15 we will be looking into the further relaxation of COVID rules. There's no more rapid antigen tests for
6: bar patrons and the limit for the number of banquet guests is gone. So let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 266 Now to uh, kick off our discussion this morning, we have an Kowloon Tong Studio, Ng Mei Kam, Professor of Urban Studies at the Chinese University, and Chan Hao Shen, Greenpeace Campaigner. Good morning, Professor Ng. Good morning. And good morning, Ms. Chan. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Now, we also have one more guest on the line, and she's Jacqueline Ho, Researcher from our Hong Kong Foundation. Good morning to you, Ms. Ho. Morning. Welcome to Backchat. Um, let's first start with you, Professor Ng. According to the latest proposal, the Cao uh, Chow Artificial Island Project will now have three islands and uh, the original infrastructure plan there will also be adjusted. Um, what are your thoughts on these changes? Well, um, I can understand the changes because of
4: um, the government's plan of the Northern Metropolis. Um, however, I mean, as a planner, uh, you know, we used to look at things more strategically, and um, you know, as the government's uh, pledge to really rebalance Hong Kong's urban development by developing the northern metropolis, because in a sense we have been overdeveloping the harbour metropolis. I think we, I, I would like to appeal for a very careful reconsideration of the necessity of these artificial islands. Rather than uh, you know continuing to uh, talk about its details, because uh, on one hand I think the resources should be smartly used to upgrade the northern metropolis, um, so that uh, we can address better uh, the current uh, imbalance of job opportunities uh, and uh, job residents. Uh, Imbalance. And on the other hand, I think if we are going to build the artificial islands, it actually can create unnecessary hazards to our future generations in face of climate crisis and also the frequency of extreme climate events. We put people at risk very easily by putting so many people, half a million people uh, on some artificial islands, uh, which actually at the same time is destroying the marine ecology. And also because we need the fuel materials, we're actually destroying other ecologies in other parts of the world as well.
5: When you, when you say that you're concerned that people on these islands might be put at risk in, in case of things, things like typhoons and... Um, aren't they exposed to the same risk as everybody else? It's people in Lantau and Hong Kong Island. Why, why are you particularly concerned well, about Well,
4: those artificial islands are not natural islands. Um, they, well, we understand that the other islands are actually, they are grounded in a sense, you know, somehow they just, you know, the relief um, um, and also the water level, et cetera. But these artificial islands are, are not really grounded by nature. Uh, so that is – and also we have to build all this infrastructure in order to link all these artificial islands, the residents, to uh, to the proper areas, you know, in our main urban areas or whatever. And these actually – uh, also create risks, and, and and these are huge investments. And it's it's not like our city have has no problems. Our city have a lot of issues that we need resources to redress. And I think we should really use these resources in a more smart manner,
6: redressing the the sort of the current uneven urban development in our city. Right. And uh, Professor, I mean, apart from these changes we just talked about, of course, uh, um, the estimated cost of the project has uh, also gone up by 16% to $580 billion. Um, Ms. Chan, I mean, first of all, are, are you surprised by this latest estimate?
7: Uh, well, I think it is... Absolutely, like in what, what we expected because all the constructions and especially mega scale constructions, they are usually or always just the price just go up and up. And for the prices now, actually it is not the highest or the actual one because firstly, the construction work will only be carried out three years later. And then the government papers also say that the cost will be distributed over 20 years. So the inflation... It will be like uh, it. Ca- it could be like at least double up uh, at the end of the day when the government needs to pay the construction money. So we will just expect that price just got higher and higher for the uh, un- un- uh, unclear cost effectiveness of the artificial island.
5: So um, the money aside, what are some of the environmental impact that Greenpeace is concerned about? Uh,
7: Well, uh, what we can see from the papers is very limited because uh, there is a preliminary ecological survey, but then uh, it it just uh, uh, written through some paragraphs and we don't have uh, any proofs or figures or graphs. So uh, for this preliminary research, we think it is like uh, it, uh, provides a lack of a uh, substantial ground for constructive discussion, especially when the government uh, want to launch a public consultation over the Hong Kong line. But then, for what we have seen so far, there are some uh, perspectives that are missing. Uh, for example, uh, the how the artificial islands or the construction itself is affecting the salinity of the ocean or the temperature of those uh, water temperature. Of the water and also the turbidity. So for these uh, elements, actually they are affecting or it, uh, bring a big impact to hard corals or the ecology uh, or the um, other ecological uh, circle nearby. So uh, for uh, and for the. On the other hand, besides the uh, environmental side, there uh, is also impact on people living around because, uh, for example, when the velocity or the current is changing, it can bring like sedimentation or erosion in a nearby area, such as Muiwo or Peng So what is the effect to the nearby area uh, uh, outside of the a study area like 500 metres to the reclamation area now. So it is all unknown. So we, we think this is uh, it's still a big piece of mystery that the government hasn't provided in for enough information.
6: All right, so let's uh, now uh, go to uh, Ms Ho, Ms Ho. good morning. Good morning. Right, We've just listened to some of uh, the concerns of uh, Professor Ng and uh, Ms Chan here. Um, so in your view, I mean, with all these changes, is it uh, still worth going ahead with the project?
0: Yeah, I think uh, the, land, uh, the artificial island is still very necessary to uh, tackle with Hong Kong's current land shortage, especially uh, when we're talking about the land supply in some numbers. For instance, Hong Kong's uh, future land supply uh, over the next 10 years, actually there are uh, Portions is coming from this uh, Kaohishao Island. And uh, this Kaohishao Island providing 1,000 hectares is a very critical part for Hong Kong's future land demand of over 6,000 uh, 6, hectares. So, uh, for the land supply itself, is already a very strong factor of why we have to push forward this uh, land development project. And also, what comes with the island is also a substantial housing supply of 210,000 uh, housing units. And this accounts for almost half of the uh, next um, like next 10 years' uh, housing supply. And it's also larger than the number of housings which could be supplied by four ongoing NDAs in the new territories. And More importantly, unlike developing housing on individual sites, uh, if we have this artificial island, we can do more comprehensive housing because uh, substantial space can also be provided for economic use, social facilities and also infrastructures. And um, when talking about these artificial islands, I think uh, one point that's uh, very, like perhaps that's less addressed in the public discourse is that there's also uh, positive implications for citizens outside the island, because the island can serve as a decanting space for urban renewal in the Metro core. Um, when we're looking at the uh, the Asian race of Hong Kong's building, by, like uh, from like thirty years from now, half of the city's housing units will be situated in buildings over thirty years old. So we have a substantial need for redevelopment, especially on Hong Kong Island and Kowloon. So this artificial islands because it's very near to Hong Kong Island and also the Kowloon, it can be a critical decanting space that is still approximate to the existing urban co-op, such that we can kickstart uh, the gradual redevelop- redevelopment of, of both uh, private residential units and public housings. And just now the Professor also touches on the point of infrastructures um, of, for northern metropolis, actually a lot of infrastructures have to be built built, especially on the northern link uh, eastward extensions to unleash the land development potentials on the northeast part, northeastern part of the new territories. But then for the artificial island, the transport network is not just for the island itself. It also provides a very strategic transport corridor for the hong kong as a whole the new trunk road and the railway they can provide a new route for the people in the northwest new territories to access to uh, hong kong and also to kowloon and this can solve the chronic traffic congestion we observed in Tsui highway or the overcrowding issue in Juma line so the overall resilience of hong kong can actually be enhanced through the provision of the new um, transport infrastructures, and I think it, uh, the new infrastructures can also bridge up Kowloon Artificial Island and the northern metropolis, such that more synergy can be unleashed with the two development projects.
6: Right. So, so yeah. for, um, Professor Ng, I mm-hmm. mean, after listening to that, uh, it's not really just about uh, um, the problem of housing supply. I mean, according to what uh, Miss Ho is saying, it's also about the the aging uh, aging building problem.
4: Do you agree well, um well first of all i think hong kong doesn't really have uh land shortage or housing shortage our problem is more about better planning and also affordability we actually have housing number of units uh you know like a quarter of a million more than the number of households in hong kong the question is that the poor people cannot afford them And so that's why they have to stuck, you know, with the subdivided units. So that's number one. Number two, about ageing at buildings. I would be very sad if we are still building buildings, which will only last for 50 years. Usually, I think even public housing, they are built for a century. So I think that is, you know, we need to really put that in perspective. Number three is that um, a lot of people living in the old urban areas, they are ageing old people they like you know to stay in their community so when we do redevelopment it's very important for us on one hand improve the situation but allow them to have more in situ sort of like relocation otherwise we heard so many stories about old people if they move to another area that they they are not familiarized with Uh, unfortunately, they would die early. So I think we have to be very careful when we say that these are, this will be decanting sites. And we heard this narrative before, right? In Western Kowloon, when they did the reclamation, which is like a third of the size of Kowloon, uh, they they said they are going to use that as the decanting sites for uh, the congested areas in Kowloon. But unfortunately, it didn't happen. And also, I think from a planning perspective, it's very important for us to really consider what's this role of the artificial islands in Hong Kong, right? Because the whole idea is to really have two metropolis, I can understand it, but we do have a harbor metropolis now already. We've built it for over a century, right? And what we're trying to do is to integrate with the Greater Bay Area, then we need to think about how to do this northern metropolis properly with 21st century uh, you know, planning concepts uh, instead of building another artificial islands, which actually in terms of density in, in a planning term, right? Yes, it's more closer to uh, to the urban areas in terms of density. We're talking about, what, 55,000 people per, per square kilometers. That's almost like the density of Kuntong. But look, that area, that part of our city used to be more rural, island, leisurely, right? And, and it, if we... we sort of like putting a a concrete forest in the middle of the sea which will create unnecessary hazards to our future generation i really want to appeal to everyone to really rethink the wisdom of this way of planning and development i mean as a planner and and in view of our ambition of you know doing this double metropolis in a in a very sort of promising region with a lot of natural resources, human capital, and, and this, you know, vision of doing well. I, I really would like, you know, everyone to rethink about the wisdom of this strategy.
5: Ms. Ho, what do you think? An unnecessary concrete block in the middle of the sea. That's what the professor said. Well, I think it's
0: a quite surprising treat. Hear that there's like no housing shortage or no uh, land supply shortage in Hong Kong, because uh, like when we're looking at uh, how how many public housing or housing units that Hong Kong people need, we are talking about like uh forty four hundred thousand something housing units that we are going we need to build in the next ten years in order to sacrifice uh, our citizens demand and especially when we are looking uh, at the 100,000 households living in the subdivided units i think it's really surprising like to hear here the comments that hong kong does not have a housing shortage yes in this we regard. don't yeah and yeah. especially it's when only hong affordability hong like we have over, a f- affordability problem
4: house. we don't have a yeah, housing yeah, problem yeah, especially
0: when, when over half of the housing in hong kong are actually public housing so uh, like no I, no I mean, not half, it, yeah. sorry. Yeah, I mean yeah, I mean that we still have a lot uh, to do in order to satisfy people's uh, livelihood and the demand for a uh, affordable and also a quality living space. And that's why Artificial Island is very important in this regard because it provides a new space. That uh, we have more room, and accessibility to like uh, carry out uh, urban designs, and also uh, with the substantial housing supplies that comes with this artificial island, we actually have more accessibility on the uh, other urban space as well. Because without a new space, it's very hard. For you to like move people around and oh i'm sorry Ms. i i don't agree with yeah. you as
4: a planner actually it's actually much easier to design when you have history nature community you know in place it, you can do a much much better job your plan will have a soul because the people have been using the space they have their culture they put their character in the place and if you really improve say. More over 1,000 hectares of brownfield sites. Integrating that with the existing nature, improving the environment, restoring the ecosystem, restoring biodiversity. You're not just helping people moving into that area. You're improving the life and livelihood of the people living surrounding that as well.
0: I think that can be done on the northern metropolis and the development of the brownfields, which we are already doing. Because if you are talking about brownfields, the over half of the brownfields in Hong Kong are already being developed or will be developed. Developed into new uh, development areas, public housing projects, and private residential projects. And uh, your concepts are valid, and this can be uh, put into, like, uh, this can be taken into considerations when development projects are being done in the new territories, like how to relocate the existing occupants on the ground fields, on the uh, agricultural land, such that we can have a space to develop public housing. At the same time, we are not uh, doing it at the expense of other occupants. But then and other questions for how to develop brownfields and also how to uh, develop the new territories. And that also has their own constraints and limitations. For instance, if we want to relocate the uh, logistic operators on the brownfields, then uh, we'll also need to find another space uh, for them and uh, to facilitate their gradual relocations and upgrades to these areas. And when we're talking about land resumptions in the new territories, it's also enforced uh, compensation to landowners and how to uh, like uh, to forge consensus among various stakeholders of different interests. So I think like the different land options have their own uh, pros and cons, and perhaps we can go back to the discussions of the artificial island.
5: Ms Chan, what does uh, Greenpeace think about the development of brownfields?
7: Uh, Yes, I think uh, this is an interesting question because I think we're on the common ground that there are different land options in Hong Kong. And so here we are talking about priority and efficiency. So for artificial island, we need to build 1,000 hectares islands in the middle of nowhere. So there must be a lot of difficulties and uh, even though the government says, oh, the first batch of population is going to move in, in 2033. But then uh, in the same paper, it only says that out of 1,000, only 300 hectares is going to be ready in 10 years. So uh, if there are uh, a lot of aging building and it's a very urgent problem, do these people need to wait for another 10 years or more to get into like a new green smart city? Will they still be here? I mean, maybe they will move to uh, somewhere else already. So what problems are we fixing if we have an artificial island going to be ready in the next few decades. But uh, on on the contrast for brownfield sites, just like Professor Ng said, uh, where it's already integrated in a city, in a, a center of the city. So uh, they, there is nature and there's rolling and there is uh, rails going to be ready in the next 10 years. So northern metropolis is actually the chance or the opportunity the government need to take leverage on in order to upgrade or uh, renew the brownfield or just connect the existing land and just upgrade the infrastructure we have currently and to build that into a smarter and more efficient city ready for hong kong people
6: and are right miss uh, right. uh, um, Ms. um Huy, i mean does uh, miss chan here have a point i mean if it takes uh, so many years uh, to build these buildings will will some people have left hong kong by then i mean when we look at the population projection do we need the artificial islands
0: I think uh, when we're talking, uh, when Ms. Chan talks about uh, brownfields and also the comparison, like artificial island is going to be ready in the 10 years, I think the same thing actually goes for for, um, for brownfield because uh, when you're looking at the artificial island, we're talking about, so let's say we're talking about like we are having 300 hectares of land in the next 10 years, but then for brownfields, uh, when we're talking about those uh, public housing developments on the individual brownfield site it equally takes a very long time like uh, the 12 uh, brownfield options there's a
7: clarification in- 10 years is also the land to be ready but the buildings are not there yet but then for 10 years in brownfield i believe the public housing should be ready by then
0: yeah example the of artificial islands people can also move in in 10 years if you look at the electrical document
7: uh, I think it's just the land ready to be built in... No, actually, to, if you
0: check the documents, it's about the first batch of population can move in oh, country 43. Yeah,
7: but if we are talking about 300 hectares, that will only land ready in 10 years. I mean, at uh, 33, it's unclear that how many people can be moved in.
0: But that's the same thing goes for individuals individual oh, housing developments on the brownfield. Like a lot of... Oh, uh, apart from the ground being uh, included oh, in the I new think, territory. Uh, we're not yeah,
6: just comparing these two options, I Are, think. All right, you know. uh, Ms Chan yes. and then Ms Hoi, I'm afraid mm-hmm. I have to stop you here for a moment because uh, we need to take a short break for the news. Uh, we can of course continue our discussion afterwards in three minutes' time. And uh, just a reminder that after 9.15, we'll uh, speak to a representative from the catering sector on the latest relaxation of COVID rules that take effect today. And here's a quick look at the weather. Fine and very dry with highs of around 19 degrees winds moderate to fresh north to northeasterlies. and uh, the red fire danger warning is currently in force at the moment the temperature reading at the observatory is 15 degrees relative humidity 39 <music> percent Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with Jenny Lam and me, Janice Wong. Still with us on the uh, on the program is Ng Mei Kam, professor of urban studies at the Chinese University, Chen Shen, Greenpeace campaigner, and Jacqueline Ho, researcher from our Hong Kong Foundation. Now, uh, before the news, uh, Ms. Ho, you're talking about uh, uh, population projection. Whether we really need the artificial islands, and uh, before we continue with that, I have an email here from Angie. And uh, Angie says, bravo to the guest who appeals to us all to reconsider this silly idea. When you also hear that housing is essentially sufficient, but it is simply unaffordable and presently empty. This land health project is nonsense. Making this happen at the expense of future generations, safety and welfare is egotistical. And uh, that uh, email is uh, from Angie. So let's go back to you, Ms Ho. What do you have to um, say maybe to this listener who who, um, sees this project as uh, silly and uh, nonsense?
0: I think this project, uh, as I mentioned previously, is going to provide a uh, like substantial stock of housing supply that we need to enhance, the, as uh, mentioned by Ng in the emails, to improve the affordability of the house uh, of the, uh, the housing market. Because uh, out of the tw- uh, two hundred and ten housing units on this island, of which seventy percent which means uh, 150,000 un- 150, units will be public housing. And this stock uh, makes up for almost half of the public housing supply that we need to build in the next decade. And as I also mentioned previously, it's, go- uh, it's more than what can be offered in the four ongoing new development areas in the new territories. So it's very important that if we want to shorten the waiting time for public housing, uh, public rental housing and if we want to improve the housing affordability it's very necessary that we uh, push forward this uh, Carrie Artificial Island Well, uh, but uh, housing,
4: housing is not housing is not home you know and also jobs are very important uh is this supposed to be another cbd of our city uh will these people living in public housing can they afford to really work in those sectors if not then will they you know be just dumped into an area that they have to pay a lot in order to uh, ride on the infrastructure back to the city and and creating all this congestion we and then the You know, the cycle repeats itself. I really feel like, you know, we do have land resources if the government has a determination and also, you know, this political will to overcome issues of like negotiating with people about their land rights and doing proper planning like for our logistics industry. I was in Singapore. Singapore has been doing research uh, about future uh, development of logistics industry, taking into account of all these technologies, smart technologies, etc., and doing forward planning and, and identify the most suitable areas for that industry to relocate why are we not doing this you know we do need to do proper planning so that we can use our land resources more efficiently the government of hong kong according to my research has over 85 percent of the land resources in hong kong it's under you know these are government figures so it's it's not true that they don't have land and we only develop 25 percent of our land less than half of our land you know, is under conservation. We still have you know, a quarter, more than a quarter of our land you know, for, um, for proper planning and development. We, we should plan our city wisely and smartly using 21st century concepts and technology. We, if we really want to integrate with uh, the greater Bay area, we have to pay respect to ecological civilization and they are developing their smart digital platforms for city development, are we doing it, you know, fast enough so that we can catch up? There are so many things that we can use our resources wisely. Why are you dumping this, you know, money into water, destroying the marine ecology, which is going to be very important for our future generations? I really want to appeal once again that we need to rethink about this, you know, this plan. If we really respect, you know, this whole idea of, developing a northern metropolis to redress the imbalance, you know, that has been created by our colonial legacy.
5: Ms Ho, what do you think? Just bad planning. We have the land. it's just bad planning right now. What do you think?
0: Um, I think it's quite interesting that Professor M brings up the point uh, on planning. I think mean, we do agree that Hong Kong uh, needs further planning, uh, like better planning and also more more urbanizations, because as our professor uh, mentioned just now, only twenty five percent of our land being urbanized. And apart from uh, half of our land being uh, reserved for conservation purpose, there's also another quarter that we are now reserving for green belts. So uh, obviously, there can like more can be done Not on enough. how we can on how we can of uh, improve the overall planning for Hong Kong. But then, uh, similar to Uh, Singapore, they also have their um, issues and also length constraints, and they are also pursuing the way of reclamation. So I don't think that I don't see why Hong Kong uh, needs to be deprived from these options if these options prove to be effective and efficient in solving the Hong Kong's uh, land and also uh, housing shortage. And talking about uh, the necessity of uh, artificial islands when we are also uh, building the northern metropolis, I would have to say that uh, the northern metropolis is not a 100% new project. Because a lot of our development initiatives, uh, for instance the Hongshuiqiu, uh, develop uh, new development areas or the new development areas are already ongoing. So for the Northern Metropolis, it's more about on uh, how we, we can build uh, infrastructures like railways and also the roads to connect those like uh, scattered uh, NDAs and also scattered development projects, uh, in the new territories and also. The northern metro is also more about the industrial development on the INT technology. But then when we look back at the uh, Carisha artificial island, it's more for like expansions of our uh, CBD. As this uh, artificial island is relatively closest to our existing urban cores and our central and also in the East. It provides a much closer space for the commercial activities to expand on this area. And also it's quite close to the airport as well. So, it still maintains and also enhance uh, Hong Kong's um like traditional strengths in the financial sectors, and that's why they are serving uh, very different purposes and i have uh, and I, as I have, have consistency uh, raised into the discussion I think uh, study uh, artificial island is unique in the sense that it provides a new space that uh, Hong Kong is much needed, uh, not just for housing, but also for uh, economic use, such that we can promote more job house balance uh, on the island as well. And also with an additional space, Hong Kong actually has more flexibility on resolving the high density, high uh, population density and living density in the existing urban core. Such that if people still want to be close to their commercials and also professional services, they still have these options of artificial island here.
5: Yeah. Yeah, I, I I want I wanted to ask uh, bring up another point is that uh, the narrowing of the waterways uh, between Lantau and Hong Kong Island um, as a result of these artificial islands we we've all known that in the development of Victoria Harbour over the years you you've n- narrowed a wide harbour into what is essentially a river <laughs> um, now this this space between in between the artificial island is going to be even narrower Ms Chan what do you think the impact will be.
7: Uh, well, it definitely needs a uh, detailed and thorough research on the uh, impact of the artificial island to the water velocity or the water current change after uh, brought by this uh, construction work. Because uh, not, it's not just oh uh, the water go faster and maybe the ferry will go faster. It's not just that. Because uh, uh, as I mentioned in the very beginning of this program, uh, the water current or the velocity is bringing nutrients and also uh, the uh, oxygen in the water uh, all all this stuff uh, into the life in underwater. So it will uh, definitely affect uh, corals or uh, mammals and even uh, it will affect human beings because uh, when the current change, the you know the a beach, the beaches, uh, they just stay in a current where uh, they bring sand, and then they will just settle it there. If you change the current, it can change the uh, onshore uh, life, uh, the onshore environment, or even just uh, and a whole beach will just erode because of the change of current. And it's not just uh, and it happens overseas when there are artificial islands built. Uh, in like uh, one kilometer away, but then it since the water current change, it will bring effect to somewhere like some, uh, a certain distance apart from the artificial island. So, but uh, I see this uh, part of research is missing from the current ecological study. So uh, it, I think this is a answer that government needs to give the public.
4: Professor, well, I well, I think uh, in terms of the ecological, you know, aspects, I think it's very clear that. Uh, but I want to also, you know, appeal uh, to you know the discussion, like Miss Ho mentioned, because a lot of the things that she talked about, like CBD, that kind of thing, is like really twentieth century in the age of digitalization, t- like, smart technology, and people's, you know, the trend of like you know working from home, this importance of quality of life, fifteen minutes neighborhood, you know. Uh, job life balance I mean all these uh, new things, and, and in the context of hong kong we we also have aging issues as well so i I really think that we we should think of building our city for the twenty first century uh, instead of using all these concepts which are you know still stuck with the twentieth century every advanced city in the world uh, try to build a more ecological biodiversity kind of, you know, rich cities rather than uh, like what we are still doing. Start with 20th century technology and, and mindset.
7: Uh, not to mention the two cbds we're having now they're having history high vacated rate and then the rent is dro- rocket dropping and just yesterday in Kaitech, the uh, the new commercial land is uh, dropping to eight years ago the price so do we need a third cbd given that in northern metropolis they say that hong shui is going to be another cbd so there will be four cbds in one city
6: All Right, miss Ho, do we need another cbd
0: I think it's very important to, to consider that, um, like just uh, Ms. Chance mentioned just now, uh, especially on the news on the uh, land sales yesterday, uh, when we are looking at the artificial islands, if we even though uh, after adjusting down the estimated revenue from the sale of residential and commercial sites given the recent market transactions, the so, uh, expected revenue is due enough to cover the construction costs so uh like, uh, like uh, all like all knowledge still a so called like a uh, positive return on the investments in the sense that uh, if we're just looking about the financial benefits its still going to provide uh, like generate return for society at large, not to mention the um social benefits of additional housing and also new space for economic use um in the future, and also, I think uh Hong Kong right now is uh like facing an uh, economic uncertainty, but then if we look back to the track record when we rebound, especially when we think about SARS, which we also faced a lot of uncertainties back then, but then after after we oh, then after we rebound from that situation, the demand for both housing and also economic land surges quickly, and land developments take time uh, because we stopped a lot of land development initiatives at that time. We were unable to catch up with the demand that comes with that, even though after all these years, after we start a land development in the two thousands, uh the next batch of uh, NDAs which will be uh, like Pontiu and uh and then good on Bus, they are going to be completed in the twenty thirties. So we are already missing three decades of land development um after all these years. And then that, uh that's why I think that the past a very important lesson that Hong Kong, if we want to, uh, like, solve all the chronic issues of livability, housing, and at the same time, to generate continuous uh, interest for uh, the economic growth, such as the cities has resources to do uh, the things it wants to do, no matter is it's uh, enhancing the livability, protecting the ecology, and that uh, the city has the resources to continuously do so. And then that's why I think that the artificial islands is very important in that sense. If we look at the long term uh, trajectory of Hong Kong's growth.
5: Okay. Oh, one last thought, Professor. Ng, I mean, this whole project is really about enhancing integration with the mainland uh, the development in, in the Tianhai uh, area, right? So we don't, if we don't do these artificial islands, what do you think an alternative
4: way would be to, to well, enhance? Well, of course, it? a better way is to just you know think. Even better, the northern metropolis is, is, is really, they are joining, they, they actually, the boundary is artificial, man-made, right? If we have one piece of land, we are very integrated geographically as a region, as a bioregion. And why, why do we not just you know, enhance that? It's, it's our natural advantage.
6: All Thank right. You. And uh, I just have uh, one uh, final uh, email here. It says, uh, Bravo, Bagchad, for producing a show that puts to shame so many of the mundane Bagchads we've endured this year. Your guest, Professor Ng, hits all the weak points our government keeps trotting out. Why isn't she the CE? And. Uh, <laughs> That's uh, from one of our listeners. And I just want to finally maybe uh, just give uh, Ms Ho uh, one last uh, chance to respond to uh, maybe the ecological issues that uh, we we didn't uh, let you uh, respond to. Just uh, finally, Ms Ho.
0: Yeah, I think there's no dispute that ecology is very important, and before carrying out any kind of development, be it or new territories or developing NDAs uh, in the new territories ecological assessments needs to be conducted in advance. And I think right now the document is still only including preliminary information and uh, I think all all the concerns that uh, other speakers have addressed in this discussion and they will be taken into account in the uh, environmental impact assessment which is already underway. So hopefully this um, DIA when it completes there will be more concrete information and also uh, objective data that we can
6: can have a deeper discussion on. All right, Ms. Ho, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. And That's uh, Jacqueline Ho, researcher from our Hong Kong Foundation. Many thanks also to uh, Professor Mei Kam from the Chinese University and also Chan Hao Sun, Greenpeace campaigner.
1: You're listening to Backchat. Call
6: us on 23388 266 and have your say. It's now 19 minutes past nine and it's time to move on to our next topic and it's about the further relaxation of COVID rules. Rapid test requirement for entry to bars, nightclubs and banquets will be scrapped from today and caps on customer numbers introduced due to the pandemic will also be removed at these premises along with others including cinemas and performance venues. To discuss the uh, further relaxation of COVID rules, we're now joined on the line by Morris Kong, chairman of the Institute of Dining Professionals. Good morning, Mr. Kong. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So um, this further relaxation of COVID restrictions uh, must be good news for your industry. Uh, what's been the reaction of your members?
3: Uh, yes, this is a good news. Uh, for, for our members, first of all, um, we need to, to look for enough uh, manpower to handle the operation. We do expect uh, more and more guests uh, will book a table Either in the choice restaurant or, or even the buffet restaurant as well.
6: Right, and uh, with the relaxation of rules, uh, banquet organizers um, can ignore the uh, current two hundred and forty percent limit and invite as many as pe- and as many people as they uh, their venue can hold. Um, do you know if uh, many people who have already booked banquets have uh, been calling restaurants to to make changes? I mean, for example, add a few tables. Have you heard anything?
3: Um, well. Um, Yes, uh, we we have to. Yeah. However, at the same time, we, we need to uh, um, follow the, another rule, which is 1.5 um, that uh, policy. Yeah. Sometimes we we want to increase more table. However, because the size or so restaurant, okay, with this 1.5 meter policy, uh, it's a bit difficult or challenge to add more tables. So so that we need to, to ask the Hong Kong government to address okay uh, as soon as possible. Things, uh, yeah, we, we, we have you know, we, we can serve more than 240.
6: right and you just mentioned uh the uh your manpower shortage problem how bad is it right now um at, actually uh, uh not only for food and
3: benefits but also in the industry however for food and benefits we do suffer quite a lot uh, and 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 we need to find a different way to look for the good uh, uh, not only for for the permanent staff, but also waiting for for the part-time staff uh, to handle operation. Yeah. Yeah So, so and, uh, that that is a challenge, I, I would say.
5: Right, the the staff shortage aside, obviously the big next big opportunity for the restaurants will be the Lunar New Year um, parties. Right, is there yeah. enough time for you to plan for those? A staff, I mean, presumably you need to get the 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 food in and 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 uh, you know whatever decorations you need. Is there enough time? That's just a yeah, few weeks. Uh,
3: for 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 short term, okay, we have to look no for a part time. Uh, uh, you're absolutely uh, right. And we to to handle okay um, the, the resources from overseas uh, because uh, most of the food ingredients uh, we need to look for uh, other suppliers from overseas, and not only in China but also other country. So uh, within this period, we are all very busy to handle different things.
6: Yeah. What What about during the during Christmas? I mean, how, how difficult uh, has it been to to uh, find extra staff?
3: Um, it, it, it's difficult, but. We have no choice. Okay, we we, we have to okay uh, to find different way to for the, the staff to handle.
6: Right at the yeah. start of our interview, you, you said uh, you expect uh, there will be more bookings with this relaxation. Um, how much uh, extra business do you expect from this relaxation?
3: It the corporate, uh, corporate business level compared with previous one, uh, we do expect okay at uh, around uh, eight to ten yeah, percent increase. That, that, that's that's what we we uh, we expect.
5: Yeah. yeah to, so you know, today is the winter solstice, right? Yeah. So h- how are the bookings?
3: Uh, I would say very very positive. Most of the choice restaurant um, keep on receiving the bookings, uh, especially for for the uh, large number. Yeah. Have you, have you 12, seen? Yeah, twelve person uh, not enough for the big family, right?
5: Have you have you seen an increase since even yesterday since this announcement?
3: Oh yes, yes, <laughs> That's why I say, okay, uh, we're be receiving a lot of uh phone call, yeah, booking online yeah for winter winterspe yeah
5: yeah, so apart from so when you say staff you you you're talking about uh waiters and waitresses and 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 what else chefs maybe
3: yes sure yeah and and almost all level of uh um, of staff yeah, uh, not only go junior but
6: Right. And apart from this uh, latest relaxation, I mean, uh, officials are still keeping the vaccine pass requirement. Uh, what's your view on that?
3: Yeah, um, and especially for, for staff, okay, we have to do uh, uh, RIT uh, for every three days. Uh, in fact, for most of the uh, uh, restaurant operations, uh, they, they handle this for every day. Yeah, so that one, uh, we may need to uh, address and I also need to ask the Hong Kong government okay, to help.
5: I mean, how, how, how effective do you think it is? You know, Basically, it involves a receptionist outside the restaurant just looking at a scan. And you, you can't really verify whether that scan actually belongs to that person. What, what are the challenges in checking these vaccine paths? Uh,
3: not only this, but how about the temperature? At the same time, we need to check the temperature as well. Yeah, so... One hand, okay, realization uh, uh, for more than two hundred forty. However, it still keep, for example, one point five meter policy campaign tracking and also the LET tracking. Okay? well, that also the chance for the operation as well.
6: All right. and uh, you mentioned the uh, one point five meter uh, restriction between tables. Uh, what I mean, of course, uh, you won't want the government to uh, relax that restriction. Are there any other measures you want the government to uh, relax apart from that?
3: Uh, thank you. I, I, I think the uh, Hong Kong government, okay, uh, had to uh, release that 1.5 meter, because at the same time, okay, we are going to some more than 200. If we keep that 1.5 meter, how can we some more people? Yeah. Not many uh, 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 restaurants besides is, is big enough, okay, to handle more gas, but with that you know, 1.5 meter restriction.
5: Yeah, um, with with the recent um, easing of the COVID restrictions, we've seen a, a very small number of uh, tourists coming back to Hong Kong. Have the restaurants benefited from
4: that?
3: Um, that's why, OK, for the reopening, yeah, that, that, that is a must. Yeah. We too have more you know, uh, tourists who come to Hong Kong, OK? Yeah, um, that's a, a benefit for, not only for food and beverage, but for retail, for every business, uh, yeah, right. As well. So we do hope a border reopening will be
6: yeah. How much uh, benefit, I mean, would you say the uh, resumption of quarantine-free travel between uh, Hong Kong and the mainland, uh, how much uh, benefit will that bring, do you think, to the catering industry?
3: Yeah, uh, according to the previous record, okay, as we all know, uh, they, they will come to Hong Kong, yeah, not only for sightseeing, yeah, but also most of them, they will have to go to restaurants, yeah. So if a uh, if, uh, border reopening, um, for sure, there be a huge number of tourists who will come to visit our different of restaurant as well. Yeah.
5: If they reopen the border, presumably then you need even more staff and and more stock to to um, you know uh, stock up your, your restaurants. Um how how quickly can you do that? You know, t- I mean, we we saw the restrictions in the mainland lifted really quite quickly in terms of checking the passes. So how how much of a sort of leeway do you do you need to get to prepare for hopefully one day all these mainland visitors coming again?
3: I, I would say there's a happy problem, okay, and 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 as a, a restaurant operation or even a, for for hotel, uh, we are ready, okay, uh, to have that kind of uh, uh, challenge, yeah. Right, and most of them we have good plan.
6: Right, and, and looking ahead, uh, what's the outlook for the catering trade this year, or well, the new year? So th- this this
5: year, there meant to be lots of weddings. It was meant yeah. to be a good year for weddings. Are you benefiting uh, from that?
3: Yeah, uh, not only we- wedding, of course, is a must. Yeah, uh, how about the spring dinner? Yeah, as we all know, spring dinner is a huge business, uh, and also the ceremony for. Uh, Lots of associations. Yeah. For the past year, we couldn't handle any ceremony. Yeah, if, if we can serve more than 200, I would say more and more associations can uh, handle different kind of ceremony in the coming months.
5: Yeah, You know, I, I'm interested to know you, when you say there's a staff shortage, you know, these, these waiters and waitresses and chefs, where have they gone?
3: Um, some, some of them, uh, they decide to, to change their business. Uh, as we all know, for uh, uh, quite a in the past few uh, months or years, there are so many online business, yeah, and online need to have uh, offline to support. So, so that's why quite a lot of people they move to other industry, yeah.
5: Do you you know if 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 we have most of these restrictions lifted, do you see this online business continuing? I mean, you know, you just go on your phone and order and go and pick up. Do you do you, do you see that trend still continuing?
3: I, I, I would say so, and, and most of our customers, they get used to okay, their kind of system uh, to order to order online. Uh, however, um, the number will be increased or not, that depends.
6: All right, uh, Mr. Kong, I'm afraid we're out of time. Thanks again for joining us this morning. and That's uh, Maurice Kong, chairman of the Institute of Dining Professionals. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today and of course to our guest presenter Jenny Lam and producer Yuki. Now here's the weather. Fine and very dry with highs of around 19 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh north to northeasterlies. And the red fire danger warning is currently in force. Right now it's 16 degrees, relative humidity 33%.
1: The pandemic is surging with more contagious mutant strains. The elderly are at the highest risk if a new wave comes. Scientific data shows that those with stable health can receive COVID-19 vaccines. Take your elderly relatives to get the jab at community vaccination centres, designated general outpatient clinics, elderly health centres, private clinics or hospital COVID-19 vaccination stations or opt for the home vaccination service. <music>
6: It's nine thirty. The news with Tom Warden.
2: The government has welcomed a ruling by a World Trade Organization panel that the United States violated global trade.